Hello, everyone. It's your host, Luke West, back with another episode of Imperfect, where we discuss topics of masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. On this episode, Adam Pecorero and I go deeper into conversations about bodybuilding, the young influence of men in young men's lives, talking a lot about the impact of friends in our lives. We go deep into therapy, as well as the issue of self-confidence and a bit about abandonment. This is a really great episode where Adam opens up a lot. At the end, you can find out where to find his podcast, Fittest Guy in the Office, as well as his socials. He's got great content on LinkedIn, and I definitely recommend that you follow him and listen to his podcast. But until then, I'll see you all next week, but enjoy this episode. Adam, thank you so much for being here. My first question for every guest now is, who's one person, dead or alive, that you would want to get dinner with? What would you cook them? And what would you talk about? Oh, that's a good question. I, I actually remember you asking me this question. And I, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about this. And I'm going to get a really good answer, but I forgot. Honestly, I think I would want to meet uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I know this is like a basic answer. Every fitness person probably wants to meet him, but I would want to meet him just because he he started everything. Like he he wasn't technically the first bodybuilder, but he he really like he was the pioneer and, and kind of like popularized it and made it what it is today. Cook him just like a huge tomahawk or like a huge steak or something probably. But actually, now that I say that, I'm pretty sure that he's going vegan or something. I, I, I heard something about like, or like he's reducing his meat consumption or something. So maybe that's probably a bad idea. Yeah. And then uh, what would you talk about with him? Uh, I would talk about just kind of how he got started, like coming from Austria, just a kid, like jumping into bodybuilding and, and making it. I kind of would just ask him like his background. Yeah. So, you know, you've talked about fitness. Why don't you kind of give a, a little bit of a background as to who you are and what you do? Yeah. So uh, I got into fitness just, I think it's always indirectly been a part of my life because I was, I was not fit when I was a kid and I was steadily gaining weight and just being severely bullied for it. And I didn't have a lot of friends when I was growing up. And and I, I mean, I had them, but it was like, every kid wants to be popular. Every kid wants to ha- have like the cool group. So I was never that. And I think I was always searching for something that would make me part of that group. So I was, I was severely bullied for, for like being overweight and I was never obese. I was just, you know, an overweight kid. Like the, the kid that you see in the movies, that's, that's like the fat friend, you know, that's what I was. And I, I got into fitness just, just because I wanted to lose weight. I was like, I'm done. I want to, I want to be a normal kid. And so when I was in, I think it was probably seventh grade or eighth grade, I was probably like, I don't know, how old are you then? 12, something like that. Yeah. I, I lost the weight, but I was doing only cardio. I was doing like Taibo. I don't know if you remember that. That was, it's like something my mom would do like kickboxing video or something. Um, so I, w- I would do that and I wouldn't eat like just drinking tea. Cause like the calf, I read somewhere that the caffeine in it would, would speed up your metabolism. Obviously we know today that that's not only dangerous, but stupid. So I was doing all the dangerous things, lost the weight, but I was just a skinny kid after that. So still I didn't have the body that I wanted. I went into high school, same way. I was kind of like skinny fat at that point. Cause I was growing still awkward. Um, I, I kind of threw myself into soccer my third year, uh, my junior year of high school. I was, I threw myself in soccer and, uh, and track basically just for the, the social aspect. I was not good at soccer. I was not a good runner. I hated running. Um, just everybody was doing track. So I did that. Not good at it. I went to college and I started, I was, I wouldn't say that I was bodybuilding. I started working out and, uh, that's when I started getting, started gaining an interest in 
in uh, weightlifting and, and nutrition. So I majored in exercise science and nutrition. I did those simultaneously, which ended up being a horrible idea. I just like packed my schedule and I did nutrition up until the very last semester and then I quit. But I did finish exercise science. I have a degree in exercise science. Um, and then I came to Montreal. I'm originally from New Mexico. So I came to Montreal to do a master's degree in exercise science. And uh, that's that's where I am now. And so in your journey of fitness, it sounds like a lot of it came from or comes from kind of the insecurity you faced as a kid. And I kind of want you to to go into that a little bit more. You know, for myself, I am an overweight young guy. Like I'm I'm 23 years old. I think I'm over like I think I'm around to like 250 pounds, something like that. I don't weigh myself because I have a lot of insecurity about it. But I really am fascinated by a lot of the ways that young men get into bodybuilding is through insecurity. And I'm wondering if you think that's a healthy way of getting into health and whether or not there's ways that around it, you know, that can really lead to healthy fitness, if that makes sense. Like in terms of my pursuance of health is from a healthy place rather than from a place of insecurity. If you're doing it for the right reasons, it can definitely be healthy. I, I think for me, obviously, I, I told you I didn't start out healthy at all. But I think a lot of guys, they'll, they'll start out either skinny or they'll start out overweight. They'll build this themselves up and they'll become obsessed with, with building their body. I think to some degree, everybody has some kind of body dysmorphia. Obviously, I'm not qualified to, to say that. I, I, I'm just speaking anecdotally here. Everybody has some sort of insecurity. And so I think it's coming from a, a very normal place. I think the guys who go down the path of abusing performance enhancing drugs and they they start mixing random things that they find on bodybuilding.com i think that's where it can become unhealthy the like periods of starvation and you know like like going through a a bulk phase and a shred phase like obviously those are very normal but when you take it to the extreme extreme where you're eating almost nothing and and competing and then you you develop a relation a bad relationship with food that's where it can become unhealthy but if you're just doing this specifically to build your build up your body to look better feel better like what you see in the mirror i don't see any problem with that same with girls though like girls will get into fitness and they'll want to look like that fitness model like, like these days girls bikini girls are are on some kind of drug so like that that famous fitness model that you might see who is so glamorous and and so perfect you don't know even know what she's doing behind the scenes you don't know if she's starving herself you don't know what what drug she's on maybe she's on nothing but you know we never know. That's the point. In 2020, you don't know. And and that's where it can be unhealthy when you start comparing to other people. And so like for me, that's one of the reasons I've never – I know it, it sounds so stupid, but one of the reasons I never got into fitness is because I never wanted to feel like a shallow individual, someone that was hiding behind – like I want my personality to shine more than my looks, which is honestly very ridiculous of me to even even think that you can't have both simultaneously. But there's always this idea that guys in the gym become jocks. But it's it's one of those things where it's a lot like it's like a lot like that self development thing. And and to I was just on the phone with someone talking about how we need to make small consistent actions to build more confidence. And going to the gym is one of those things that allows us to build confidence. Even if we're like losing one pound a week or whatever, I always felt much more confident just going to the gym, gym and showing up than actually the results that was coming from the gym itself. Because I, I'm like, I'm here, I'm putting in the work. I know I'm losing weight. I just don't see it right now. And so like I read Terry Cruz's book and one of the things he talks about is how he got into fitness in order to protect his family. Like he saw kind of the, the abuse of his father or he wanted to really be a protector of his, of his mother and of his family. And so 
in that book, it's kind of when I realized that coming at fitness from a place of wanting to do something for yourself or something for others isn't actually a bad place as long as you reconfigure your mind to realize that this is something I actually want to do. This is something I actually realize is actually healthy for me. And so I know that uh, on our on one of our previous calls, you talked about you know fitness to get attention or, or fitness to attract women. What has kind of been your experience with that in your own personal life? And what do you see from a lot of young men in terms of of going into fitness for the wrong reasons? I mean, I definitely can can identify that with that as well, because I, I did compare myself to people on Instagram. You know, I would compare myself to bodybuilders, which I'm not a high-level bodybuilder. I do compete, but I'm not that, you know, I'm not a pro. So I, I think a lot of guys will compare themselves to to the pros. But I mean, bodybuilding gets a bad reputation for that reason, but it's not like little boys are not comparing themselves to to soccer stars or like football stars, it's happening in every sport and it's not more prevalent in bodybuilding. It's just that bodybuilding gets a bad reputation and people think like it's all about vanity. It's all about getting as big as possible, but it's not necessarily that, you know, it's about getting strength and confidence and looking good. Yes, you're judged on your body and that comes with some body dysmorphia. It can can come with that. But at the end of the day, you kind of just have to say like, that's the sport. Like if you don't want to be judged on your body, then don't do that sport. If you don't want to to run around all day on a field, don't be a soccer star. I know there there are things that it's easier said than done. Like I've gone through that. I've done every everything. But to answer your the other part of your question, I I do find that a lot of people, a lot of guys will compare themselves to these to these guys with abs and they'll think like, oh, I have to be like that. And and that's where the vanity kind of comes in. You're like, I have to be like that. That's what girls want. When in reality, girls don't want that. They want like the, the more normal body, the, the dad bod. They're more attracted to the normal body. And it's been shown time and time again that these cover models are not what's attractive. And so do you think it's damaging then that the model body is kind of what is deemed as attractive? Like, Where do you think the media comes into this kind of self-confidence that young men have or, or these goals that or these fitness goals that young men have? I think it is, that's the thing, like, it's hard to say because it comes with age. It comes with age and experience because I would never have believed someone even three years ago, five years ago, if they would have told me, like, it's not about this, it's about this, you know, like, about having abs, it's about performance. You know, I would have been like, okay, well, that's not what I want right now. That's what I want is the abs and I want the big shoulders and I want big biceps, you know, like, I think it's important to educate young men on, like, it's okay to be to want to to look good and be a little vain, but that's not what you should always strive for. With working with performance or working for performance will also bring you that body. You know, you can still be have that shredded physique and still perform well. It's only how you look at it. Mm-hmm. And I really like the point you actually said about, you know, it's the sport that you're in and bodybuilding is much like soccer, but bodybuilding gets a bad rep. And it's so, it's so true. Like, it's funny because I, I look at people like Arnold Schwarzenegger when they were back and doing these these competitions and you see them all oiled up and they're doing their poses. And I'm like, this is so corny. This is not attractive. But it's a lot like soccer where they are competing against other people. It's a competition where they're trying to win. And that's all about the game. And so I never actually thought about bodybuilding in the, in the sense of you have to be at the top of your game. You're trying to compete. You're literally doing exactly what is written in terms of the sport. And so I, I really find that quite fascinating in the sense of, 
you know, you look at uh, Messi and you look at Ronaldo, they're obviously very attractive people. And like, that's kind of the definition of attractive, but, but bodybuilders, like I see, I've seen some bodybuilders on Tinder and I'm like, these are not attractive representations of the female body that I'm into. And it just kind of goes to show how much we all consider different body types to be our type or our desire. That's the thing. Like there, there are so many also different classes of, of bodybuilding. Like people think of bodybuilding and they think of monster, like massive guys, but you know, like men's physique is not that way. I mean, untested shows. Yes, it is. Guys are getting bigger and bigger every year, but if you do a natural show and you're, you're looking at the men's physique guys, they look like they're smaller than cover models. You know, like they're, they look just like guys that you would see on the beach in, in Santa Monica. It's not, not anything crazy. So, I mean, bodybuilding is a, is the umbrella term. It's kind of like saying business, you know, underneath business, there's marketing and there's sales and there's all this stuff, but it's, it's a very general term. So I remember in our conversation about, you know, earlier was talking about mental health and how fitness can be a way to channel men's anger in like a healthier way. And I kind of wanted you, I remember that point very vividly. I wrote it down in my notebook and I really wanted you to kind of go into more depth about of that aspect of, of fitness and, and health. Yeah. I mean, I think what I was saying in that conversation, it's been a while, but I think what I was saying is that it's not necessarily something like, you know, the guy in the gym that's, that's, that's grunting or he's like taking photos of himself. He's, he's like walking around like he's the best thing ever, but inside, you don't know what's going on. inside. Maybe he was bullied when he was younger and now he has this body that he's proud of. And he's like in the gym every day, dedicated to what he's doing. And he's working on a craft essentially. Maybe he's taking photos for his coach. Maybe he's competing, you know, like maybe he's just, just trying to be the best he can. Maybe he's taking pictures for, for his stupid Tinder, but you know, like you don't know what he's, you know, like it's always one of those things like, like a girl in, in the gym. Also, it's the same thing. Like, like if, if a girl is taking a photo, yeah, she might be vain, but she's, she might also be very insecure. You know, like it's a guy is the same, same way. He might be insecure and he might be, maybe he found that he looked good that day and, and he wanted to take a picture. And so in the process of becoming fit, if you're a guy that, you know, has these types of insecurities, what are some actions that you think they can take to really hone in and become more confident, become more secure with who they are and really find a passion and a love for working out, whether it's in the gym or not? Honestly, I would say it's, it's very, um, it's very easy to go for the abs and the, you know, to work the vanity muscles and just like try and be someone that that you're not. And I say that like comparing yourself to a specific person, it's very easy to want to do that. But at the end of the day, whether you're trying to impress a girl or whether you're you're trying to impress your friends or like other people in the gym, performance is way more impressive than the way that you look. Because I've seen some guys who are absolutely shredded all year round who lift uh, very unimpressive weights. And I've seen some guys who are overweight and they're beasts. They're, they're, they lift more than I ever will. And that's more impressive to me and to a lot of other people than just like a shredded body. So I think working for performance is, is a number one thing that you can do because not only are you optimizing your health, but you're working for a goal that's actually going to serve you in life. Those abs are, are not going to serve you. Like, like they're going to be great pictures, but what else is it going to do for you? And so in, in regards to kind of like the overall, I guess, experience of, of your life, how has being fit and, and being a bodybuilder and, and being on that path, how do you feel like that shaped your male identity? I think it's made me realize a lot of things about myself that I wasn't, that I didn't address before. You know, like I, I, I knew that I had body image issues and I knew that 
I had a bad relationship with food, but I didn't necessarily know to what extent. I always knew that I was, I couldn't control myself with food, but when I started competing as a, as a competitive bodybuilder, I realized like, this is a problem, you know, like I, I have a binge eating problem or like I have a, I'm starving myself or whatever. So luckily those, those behaviors don't show up anymore. But when I first started, I didn't know that I had these things. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm interested in your relationship with food going into that a bit more. Cause I would say my relationship with food is pretty bad. Like I don't eat breakfast. I always tell people I like chips just as much as I like vegetables, but I'll always go for the chips more, right? Like that's, they, they savor more, they taste better. So I've heard a lot more recently about how the gut is related to the food that you eat and just like the overall health of, you know, the organicness of your food that you, that you consume, how that's kind of all related to your overall health, overall well being. But I'm, I'm really interested in your relationship with food, if you don't mind going into that a bit more. Yeah, well, first, I, I want to say that it has really almost nothing to do with whether your food's organic or whether, you know, like listening to these gurus who were talking about gut health or like specific issues that you probably don't have, unless a physician is telling you like, hey, you need to fix this gut problem, like, you don't need to fix the problem and their products are not going to help you. So I would say, like for you specifically with the chips, I would say don't stop eating chips. I would say replace a serving, go little by little, replace a serving with a serving of something that you find is healthy. So whether that's a serving of broccoli or a, or a, a sandwich because you're getting turkey and lettuce and, and tomato, whatever. But replace a serving with something healthy, something with protein and like work progressively. Because I, I, I see so many people, they want to change right away. So they stop all chips. And then like a week later, what they do, they, they go to the store and there's a huge sale and they just buy a, a basket of chips. So yeah, it's definitely restriction is definitely not the way to go. But if you want to know about my relationship with food, uh, I, I had problems with binge eating when I was competing. So I would, I would do things so crazy as like, I would, I would eat things like a brownie or something and I would just do it for the taste. So I would eat the whole brownie and then I would spit it in the trash with, these are classic also, again, I'm not qualified to, to talk about like eating disorders. I'm not, I'm not, that's not my, my scope of practice, but I personally would do these things and I was, it, it was, it was disordered eating. So I would, I really wanted those things and I would tell myself like I need it. And it was almost like a, a, a drug addiction. And we know with, with the current research that there is foods are not addictive. They don't have uh, like, it's really a myth that, that sugar is addictive. We need more research to, to determine that anyway. So I, I would, I would do these things and I would, uh, or I would go out to a, a meal and just like eat literally everything that I could. And then I would get on the treadmill or I would get on, I would do cardio for an hour and, and try and like get those calories back, which we know that that's not the way to do it, that you can't out a bad diet. So there's a lot of anxiety involved with that, especially when I was competing, because I was like, I paid for all this. I paid for the coaching. I'm, I'm doing all this effort and I'm destroying all my efforts. And yeah, I mean, it happened a few times when I was competing. It happened this last time that I was competing, but to a smaller scale, it was almost not even an eating disorder. It was more self-sabotage. So I did it the day of the show, actually, which is ridiculous. But yeah, I, I, I've I've since gotten those those behaviors more under control. I, I saw a therapist. I um, started doing implementing things like journaling and visualization and all the like hippie things that that you think about, but they're they're really helpful and they've been honestly monumental in in helping me uh, be a high performer. Yeah. Thank you so much for opening up about doing therapy and and your struggles with you know the, your eating disorder. 
in regards to therapy, how do how have you seen that kind of assist you in your growth as a, as both a bodybuilder, as a competitor, as a as a craftsman, as well as you as a individual? Have have you seen kind of an overlap in in that, or have you kind of used it more towards your your craftsmanship in terms of being a bodybuilder and, and kind of working towards that? I actually have not even thought about it. I I mostly did it for business reasons because I was holding myself back. I have I had a lot of self-sabotage and like self-doubt and like self-worth kind of like, I don't even know what to call them. They were just more like thoughts, I guess, or behaviors, I guess, tendencies. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But I did it for that because I was, I mean, at this point I could be, I could be a hundred steps ahead of what I, where I am today if had I gotten help earlier. So I would urge your listeners to, whether it's a, a, a real therapist or whether it's a friend that you can turn to, whether it's your mom, like whatever, talk to somebody because it's not worth struggling for years and and just like thinking that there's something wrong with you because there's not it's it's more there's something wrong with your your thinking which is not your fault it's it's kind of how we were shaped by society and the the things that happened to us in the past everybody has trauma but it's not something that you should think is your fault or be ashamed of or not want to talk about and so when it comes to kind of sharing those parts of your life you know, going to a therapist is great, but how do you determine what is really holding you back? How did you determine what was holding you back in terms of your growth? Because I think a lot of young men, like the thing that they are most scared of sharing is the thing that is holding them back. So in terms of, of those things in their own life, how do you become comfortable sharing those things? Is it just you kind of go all in on, you know, sharing your shame and sharing your, those, those emotions or kind of what, what, what were some of your things that your therapist taught you about how to share? Honestly, we, we talk about very normal things. It's going to be very underwhelming what I'm going to tell you, but we don't, we don't go so far into those things because I realized it was, I mean, it, it goes deeper than that, but, but my, my problems, my actual problems were very surface. I don't even know how to describe this. It was, it was things that like, all I had to do was literally just tell someone this is what I'm thinking. And he gave me an answer and I was like, oh yeah, you're right. So it wasn't, it wasn't a complicated process. And I won't, I won't say that I'm completely like everything's fine because I think once, I mean, we're like cars or like machines, like we have to be, there's maintenance to be done all the time. So, I mean, I, I would say that now I'm, I'm perfectly fine and I'm able to function throughout my day without something happening or some crisis that I'm creating out of no, out of nothing. But yeah, I mean, it, all it took was literally me talking to someone. So I think the $50 that I'm paying for that session is, I, I should have done this years ago. Yeah. And to go back on one of your points that you mentioned earlier about sugar, I found that really interesting because I've been told by by people that like sugar is is like a, such a bad drug. It's very addictive. You know, I always feel like I'm, you know, you come down from a sugar crash or there's days where I feel like I haven't had enough sugar and I, I get a headache. Kind of what are your... Can you go a bit deeper into the sugar epidemic and and your thoughts behind that? Sure. Uh, I think a lot of that is perpetuated by bloggers who have an opinion and and it's not necessarily fact. Also by Netflix documentaries, those are not there's nothing factual about them. It's the producers who are behind it. They 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 have an agenda to prove. Um and this, this is not just me uh with an opinion. It's it's something that you can go to I would actually urge everyone go to scholar.google.com and look for yourself just Look at the research. Um, that's where you can find the, the most current research. You can even search like 2019 to 2020 if you want to. So the the sugar debate, there is there has been some evidence show, to show that when someone is given a dose of sugar, I don't I don't remember the uh, 
don't quote me on the exact amount, but so say they're given X amount of sugar, the brain scans, the places that are lighting up are similar to the response of cocaine, for example, uh, highly addictive drugs. And so people are now taking that out of context and saying, oh, it's as addictive as cocaine. When in reality, that same response is elicited by, uh, by puppies, almost like a, yeah, it's like a happiness response. And so without doing more research on this, I, I can't really, I, I, I wouldn't be able to comment like exact specifics on it, but it's, it's just one of those things that have been taken out of context. And, and you can find this with like things like keto, intermittent fasting, anything health related, people love to take it out of context and put it into their agenda. So yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely get my, my research from someone who like Jeff Nippard, Lane Norton, th those are some of the, some of the guys that they will take the research and kind of like help you understand it. Like they'll, they'll make their videos in a way that it's very easy to, for the public to understand. And I would suggest looking them up. Yeah. And now I kind of want to go into a bit more of your background. Like I always ask people at the end of an episode about the importance of their father um, and male mentors in their life. But, you know, you, you said you grew up in New Mexico. I'm assuming it's it's maybe a bit of a different culture and a different environment than Montreal. But like, how did that experience and that culture, how do you think that shaped you to who you are today? I wouldn't say that the culture is that much different. And I also lived in France. So it's kind of Montreal is kind of, Quebec is kind of like a, a hybrid of the two of the States and, and France. So I, I don't feel that it's that much different from, for me, but I grew up in a very, I grew up in a small town and everybody around me had that small town mentality. And that's not me at all. I never felt like I belonged or that I fit in, fit in with anyone. And that wasn't because of me. It was because literally of my, I, I didn't fit in there. I've never been back there. I go back for Christmas and to see my family. But when I go back to New Mexico, I spend the most time in Albuquerque, which is the, the biggest city. It's the Breaking Bad city. So that's where I spend my time. And I don't, my hometown, I'm literally there to see my mom and grandparents and I get out. So I think that's another big thing that boys growing up should, should also realize. If you don't feel like you fit in, you probably don't. And it's not your fault. I think you get out of there and you should go do, do whatever you want and make something of your life. You have the power to do whatever you want. I'm going to make a note of what you said there. If you think you don't fit in, you probably don't, is a actually surprisingly simple but obvious thing that a lot of us probably don't realize. And that's basically how I think high school is for everyone, is no one really fits in and everyone hates it. And then those that do fit in, I'm like, how did you fit into high school? I've always been impressed by people that say the high school were their best years of their life because I'm like, man, we had different years then. But in regards to, I guess, male mentorship in your life, you know, you said you went back to visit your mom and your grandparents. Did you have like a, a father figure or, or a mentor in your life that kind of guided you down the path that you're currently going? Or did you kind of have to figure out a lot of that for yourself? I didn't. And I, I had to figure that out myself. And I was like starving for that male attention in my life. Like I, I would, once I would find a good friend, I would kind of like latch onto them and be like, okay, we have to hang out all the time. Like not, not in like a weird creepy way, but I would be like, I would be really um, like loyal to that person because I would be like, okay, we're friends. Like we have, I finally have someone who's going to listen to me and like give me that attention that I never had. But I don't know. It's, it's weird. I don't, I don't find it. It, it definitely made me who I am today. I don't know what would have happened had I, had I had some kind of figure in my life. Um, but I don't know if I would have changed it because I definitely struggled a lot like normal stuff that like teenagers would struggle with, but I don't think it was anything that was detrimental that, that I didn't have a, a, a male figure in my life. 
And so in like your life now, would you say that you have active male role models that are are in your life in regards to actually being there? Because I think sometimes we see male role models as a as a distant idol rather than being really effectively in our lives. Like for example, Kobe Bryant or Steph Curry or LeBron James, a lot of these guys are are distant role models. And we we kind of fill the gaps that we we don't really look too deep into our, our daily lives for real mentors in our life that can affect us day to day. We look more at male role models from a sense of a distance and we're like, we want to be that. Do you have people in your life now who are close by and accessible to you at, like a lot of the time? Yeah, I do. I have a really good friend uh, here in Montreal and we actually met, it's funny, we met on Instagram originally, but he lives here. So we, we hang out all the time, but yeah, so I have a good friend here. I have some good friends in New Mexico still. Yeah, I mean, I, I have them now, so that that's the important part. And also, like, like social media has been so big for me because I've met a lot of people who have been super influ- influential in my life, and uh, they've almost been like mentors. I have a business mentor. I have, you know, I look, I, I have the people who I I follow, who I look up to, like you know, like classic uh, Lewis Howes, Gary V. Yeah, so I mean, I would say now I'm I'm pretty solid. I have I have people around me. My therapist is also male, so like it's you know. I've done a good job, I would say, of creating that support system. So, you know, you alluded to your therapist being male. Do you think that's important to your to your growth? Do you think it would be different if you had a female therapist? I, I don't think I was closed off to the idea. I just, I kind of went about it as if I were the client, or, or sorry, if I were the coach, if I were if I were the therapist, I kind of went about it that way. Like, I prefer working with, with males because I can identify with them on a personal level. So I thought in order for him to not diagnose me, but to to understand and like say, okay, stop doing this. You're, you're creating this out of nothing. Like, you know, like, cause he, he maybe have, has been there before. So I think it was important for me to have a male. I went off to the idea of having a female. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's really key too. Cause I feel like sometimes the people and the women in our lives can say how they want us to open up to them. And, and I, sometimes I feel like they don't understand how hard it can be to under, uh, open up to a, a woman in our life. And I get that, you know, your wife and your, or your life partner or whoever is supposed to be there for you at all times. But sometimes you just need someone to be like, you're a dude, I'm a dude. Let's talk about this together. And then you can bring it to your wife or your partner or, or a woman in your life. Once you figure it out and you kind of hone in on it with a guy. And so I really think that is really valuable to men to have those spaces to talk with other men. Just like I think it's valuable for a girl to go to uh, to another woman and be like, this is what I'm going through. If it was something to do with, you know, their like hormonal or their like bodily functions, it makes more sense to go to a woman. So why isn't it kind of like that with the mind and like from a cultural perspective as well? And so, yeah, I think it's really interesting the aspect that you just brought up. But so I definitely want to, to ask these like last three questions before before I let you go. And the first one is what is one thing your father or a male mentor, I guess in this case, taught you in your life that you carry through every day or you know a piece of advice that 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 stuck with you. So the the biggest thing that I would say that that I've learned and that I've been told is that you're not as fucked up as you think you are. Actually no, he he his exact word my friend his exact words were you're not fucked up like you think you are. Like, it's not even like you're a little bit, you're literally not fucked up. So just stop thinking that and um, literally just talking to someone. I think that's it. And it's not even like 
airing out your dirty laundry or like complaining. And it, it could be. I definitely complained to my friend. I've been so dramatic that, that afterwards I'm like, I'm really sorry about that. That was unnecessary. <laughs> but you can be like that. You find someone that you can be like that with and, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. And then I think that's really key too. I, I think a lot of people think that they're fucked up and then they tell people what they're feeling. And then that person will be like, I feel the exact same way. And I always say that as people, why I like connecting with people one-on-one is that you can be a little bit more authentic. You can be a little bit more risky in what you say and how you feel. And then they can be, normally they feed back on that being like, I feel the exact same way. Finally, I can hear, I feel someone else feeling the same way. And you can relate on a vulnerable human level because you are willing to say, I'm pretty fucked up. And like, that's kind of what my podcast is all about in the first place is like, I'm not a perfect dude. No one I've had on my podcast is a perfect guy. And it's a comfortable place to be like, I've fucked up. I am not the perfect father. I'm not the perfect husband. I'm not the perfect boyfriend. I'm not the perfect lover. I'm not even like the perfect like son in a lot of ways. And so I, I definitely agree with you that we're not as fucked up as we think we are. And we need to be able to to share that space and those those moments with other people. My second last question that I always ask people is, what is one thing you wish your father or a male figure told you in your life? I, I think that I, I've never really felt listened to because I, I haven't talked to, I don't know if I went into this during our initial call, but I haven't talked to my father in, I don't know, I never considered him a father. So I, don't, I don't know how long it's been and I don't care. I think a lot of people are like, I, I need to reconcile this. I don't want to live with it, but I don't, I literally don't care. And I don't know, maybe that's good or, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I think that I would have liked, I don't know, maybe just like to say like, I love you or like, I, I want to listen to you or I want, what are you, what's going on in your life? You know, like just something, but it's not even as I don't think of him. So I, I think like maybe a figure, a male figure in my life, maybe I would have liked, I don't know, just like more dialogue on this these kind of issues like hey I, I noticed that your your texts were a little dry or like you weren't really smiling the other day like was something going on like what's going on you know I, I think it's important because like even my friend that I talk to it's kind of like me initiate initiating everything and just because I know that I can now but I, I think it's it's still like weird to assume that something's going on with your male friend and you kind of just don't ask you know that's the thing is you, you should always ask you don't know what's going on Man, I think that's so true. Like I've, you know, you, you never want to be that guy apparently that asks the tough question. And so when in my life, like I've had friends go through breakups and I've just been like, we, as a, as a group of guys will be like, it's none of our business to ask them this question or how they're doing. And I'll, I'll be like, I'll take the bullet for the team. I'll ask this guy if he's suicidal right now. I'll ask him how he's feeling. I'll ask him if like, bro, do you, do you feel good? Do you do you want to live right now? Cause I don't want to ever be at the at the other end of it and hear that, you know, I just wish someone asked, I just wish someone noticed me. I just wish someone, you know, reached out and heard me. And I feel like that is a is a huge like issue with with young men who feel, you know, even in books that I read, it's all about attention and feeling abandoned and, and those kind of like those issues is I just want to be noticed. And, and a lot of the things that we feel insecure about is 
oh, I'm not noticed. I don't feel like I have attention and we seek attention, but that attention isn't like satisfying because it doesn't come from the person that we actually want it from. And Trevor Noah talks about it in his book quite a bit because he had to be separated from his father. He grew up colored in, in apartheid South Africa. His dad was white. And so he wasn't allowed to be seen with his dad like legally. And as a young kid, he's like six years old. I'm like, he's like, why can't I be with my dad? I don't understand. And so there's these these abandonment issues or these other issues that you just feel as a young man where you you don't feel of value. So you seek out value and then you want to be heard. But men are taught, don't reach out to men about their feelings. So, man, I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm I'm glad that we got the chance to uh, to talk and connect. I, I I randomly messaged you. I think I messaged you uh, on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that I did. Yeah, yeah, man. I I love these types of conversations. My my last question that I always ask people is is what is one thing that you want to pass down to future generations? Um, honestly, I think it's like just stop, stop everything that you think because you don't know. You you really don't know anything because. Society tells you all these things and, and we're, we're really brainwashed by, um, you know, like shows and like figures, like even action, uh, not action figures, superheroes, you know, like they're, you would never see, maybe, I guess, I guess Superman did cry or Spider-Man did cry when his uncle died. But I mean, like <laughs> you would never see, like the, the hero crying or see like anyone talking about anything of substance. It's always like the male figure is doing this and that's what you have to do. So I would say drop the act because we're all just we're all just acting, and it's um, time that we stop doing that. I think that also the the feminist movement, nothing is going to actually change. Like it's good that we're making progress, but I think the nothing's actually going to change unless we start with the problem, and that the problem is this idea of toxic masculinity, and uh, fixing men first is going to change everything. Yeah. So you think we have to change men first? Yeah, I think we have to improve men, not just change them. We have to improve them. I totally agree with that frame of reverence. Like, you know, one of the things that I've been not called out upon, but, you know, people have have alluded to the fact that I have a podcast that's for men. It's about masculinity and manhood. They will say that's sexist. And I'm like, no, I'm really an ally for the feminist movement in the sense that I want to talk. I, I'm fully for feminism. I support women and I really want to do this to make sure that women in my life can understand men on a deeper level and figure out, you know, be a, be a place for men to call out men safely. And I feel like one of the things that men don't feel is, you know, we can feel so attacked when it's from a different gender or, or anything like that. And this allows for a place for men to come together and really challenge each other. I'm like, I'm on your side. I want men to change too, but the unfortunate thing is, is that sometimes men don't want to listen to other people about how men should act. And it's the same thing as, you know, women don't want to hear from men about how women should act. It's the exact same thing. It's just, there's been not many men in society who have called out their own side and we have to start doing that to improve men. That's why with the Gillette ad that came out, I was like, I'm fully on board with this ad that men can get better or be better because I believe men can be better. How can you disagree with the fact that men can be better? Did I think some of the things within it were corny? Yes. Did I disagree with some of the messaging? Absolutely. But I'm like, overall, I agree with the, the theme of it. The just delivery wasn't 100%, which no delivery will ever be. So I really appreciate and value you saying, you know, men have to improve men and men have to call out other men because I really think that's how we take steps to improving men. 
Definitely. And you know, my, my podcast has the same framework. I, I, my audience is male. I position myself in a way, my, my podcast is called the fittest guy in the office. So already I've actually, it's funny. I've had, I've had females like really interested in coming on the show and I've had females I interested coming in, uh, interested in my, uh, my free fitness group, which is on Facebook and LinkedIn. I have a, uh, identical free men's fitness group and I have so many women interested in it. And I'm, I don't understand. Like if it's, if there's like a, a women's group, I would never ask to join it. You know, like I, I wouldn't think that's for me, but this is not even a criticism. It's just, it's just something, a funny observation. But when I hear things like, oh, you don't allow women on your podcast. That's not what I said. You know, it's not about you. It's about, first of all, it's my podcast. So I'll have whoever I want on there, but it's not about you. It's, it's about fixing a problem and helping, helping men, not even empowering men. We're, we're, we're inherently empowered by society, but it's more just helping them through, through issues that we don't get to talk about. So that's what it's about. No, exactly. And, and I've had that thing too. It's where it's like, when are you going to have women on your podcast? And it's like, I'll have women on my podcast when I find the right women. I feel like with guys, they can come on and kind of talk about just their life in general. But with women, I feel like they have to come on and talk about a very specific issue and a very specific thing about masculinity, whether it's what they work in like the oil industry or the military or something like very specific to a male dominated industry or male dominated like experience to talk about how they see like the issue of men in their workplace or, or the, you know, those experiences. I'm like, you have to bring something to the table. Like I've seen women do Ted talks on locker room talk. And, and I'm like, that's the kind of woman I want to have in my podcast. It can't just be anyone. I do have future goals of like Michelle Obama would be a fantastic person. Emma Watson would be a fantastic person. Like these, I want to have women on my podcast, but I feel like they have to have a lot more value to add to the table right away than just being kind of like some random dude that I can really have on my podcast because there's just so much more as you said we can relate to on a on a deeper man men level but it's not like i'm closed off to the idea of women it's just i have to do a lot more vetting and, and thinking about it for sure yeah i think they would have to be some kind of not even expert but like someone who just is not going to be biased and i i think that there's just like a that natural bias there uh, I, I wouldn't talk about i would never go on a show to talk about like female like, I mean, this is a bad example. This is classic example that we would use, but female like hormonal issues. Like, I don't know about, that. I never want to go on a show like that. And I would never accept to go on a show like that because I don't know what I'm talking about. It's hard. It's a, it's a, it's a hard topic. Yeah. And now Adam, you kind of alluded to a little bit of what you do earlier, but to close off this podcast, what do you do? You know, go into detail about a little bit more of what, you know, the fittest guy in the office and then where people can find you. Yeah, so I am an online fitness coach. I do customized, com actual, actually customized programs. I don't just give you like an Excel sheet and send you on your way. I go into a lot of education on fitness, research-based, evidence-based. Uh, everything that I do is evidence-based. And so I have my programs. I have my free fitness groups, which are on LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, it's called The Fittest Guy in the Office if you search it. Other than that, I'm on all platforms at The Fit Adam, A-D-A-M. And uh, yeah, my podcast is also called The Fittest Guy in the Office. Yeah. And everyone, check out that podcast. It's amazing. Adam really knows his stuff. Posts on LinkedIn, super funny, super engaging. Lots of good content there. Adam, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed this episode and I look forward to staying in contact and following your content and learning more about uh, fitness because I don't know anything. Definitely. Well, I'll help you out there. 
Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Imperfect with Adam. You can find him on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash thefitadam and on Instagram at thefitadam. I really thought this was a good conversation just about men and their bodies and I really hope that uh, you enjoyed it too. Just a reminder that you can go and like and review this podcast on iTunes. It does a lot for the ratings of the show, um, and I'd really appreciate it as well, of course. I've read all the ones that I currently have. They're very touching. We're currently rated five stars out of five, so that's pretty sick too. But yeah, just uh, thank you everyone so, so much for tuning in, and I look forward to having you listen next week. Cheers. Cheers.